Good morning. I'd like to introduce a friend of mine who's visiting with us today, Sharon Stauffer. She's the Executive Director of Positive Choices. Positive Choices was formerly called Save a Life East, if you're remembering that as the name of it. Um, she, um, well, Positive Choices is a pregnancy resource center, and it's a ministry which we here at the church support. Uh, she's here today to tell us a little bit about the Positive Choices Gala that's coming up this month. And uh, we're going to watch a couple of videos that she brought for us to view. And uh, then she's going to come up with her announcements, and then we'll have one more video. So um, we'll go ahead and listen to the videos or view the videos, and then she'll come up. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I'm Sharon Stauffer, and as many of you know, I serve as the executive director here at Positive Choices Pregnancy Resource Center. And you may be wondering how you as a church and us as a center can respond to the Supreme Court's uh, decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. Well, we uh, have good news for you as our church partner, as a community, and to individuals here in our area that uh, as a pregnancy center, we don't intend to reinvent the wheel. The center was organized about 30 years ago, and that was because churches and individuals were concerned, and they wanted the community to know the truth about abortion and that there are alternatives to abortion parenting, adoption planning. So our center will continue to be the boots on the ground and the strategic partners uh, with our churches who want to be uh, partners with us and also who want to do more. So we invite you to continue helping us multiply opportunities for services provided to women, men, and families, all free of charge and confidential. But most importantly, we do share Jesus with every client, and that is cultivating a culture of hope for all who walk through our doors. So we want you to take this opportunity to, and invite you to be part of our annual gala celebration. It's going to be Thursday, October the 20th, and by joining together, uh, we can make a difference. We know that there's no better time than now to offer hope, help, and real pregnancy options. And so may we count on you to be part of this incredible influence God has given us to be eternal, to have an internal impact on our world. So let's make this event a touchdown for life. And look for an email from me. Uh, in that email will be some details and, an, and also a short clip from our guest speaker, Pam Tebow. And we want you to know that we are concerned, but we are going to continue doing the work that your generous support helps us to make happen. So this may be the most important gala event since 1973. So please join us and let us know if we can count on you to be there at this uh, event that for us, we think is going to be incredible. It's going to be exciting. And we're going to just join together and celebrate life. Thank you. Thank you.
I call him my miracle baby. He almost didn't make it into this world. I can remember so many times when I almost lost him. It was so hard. Well, he's all grown up now, and I still worry about his health. You know, with all our family's been through, we have to be tough. Timmy, we're trying to tell our story here. Sorry about that, Mom. <laughs> you still worry about me, Mom? Well, yeah, you're not nearly as tough as I am. I was pregnant with Timmy in the Philippines, and I had had amoeba, which is quite serious. It's the leading cause of death in the Philippines, and I was very dehydrated, very sick. When I went to the doctor where we lived, she advised me that I needed to have an abortion. The doctor said that I could lose my life if I didn't, and we didn't have good medical care because we were living in an area of the Philippines, and it was a very long time ago, 24 years ago. Mm -hmm. But it was a time when I had to trust the Lord. Wow. It was very difficult nine months, but... But just to show you how supportive uh, <laughs> all my brothers and sisters were. Um, so at the beginning of her pregnancy with me, they thought I was a tumor. And so when I was born and old enough to remember, they always called me Timmy the Tumor. <laughs> <laughs> the winner of this year's Heisman Trophy is Tim Tebow. I think it automatically comes on. Okay. Well, good morning, church. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. Uh, I'm Sharon Stauffer, and I do serve as the executive director at Positive Choices. This is Lori Fant. She um, started with us as a volunteer. Now she serves as, our, as my assistant, and she has a variety of jobs that she does at the center. Um, there's no job too big or too small for Lori, and you'll see her out in the community uh, visiting with organizations and businesses, um, giving them our information, asking for donations and contributions, especially now that we're approaching our third annual gala. Well, again, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you, Pastor Thad and Grace Community for being one of our ongoing longtime supporters. We um, have benefited from the church supporting us. Uh, from here, we have volunteers uh, and we have um, officers. Linda Bartlett serves currently as one of our board members. Also, she helps us with counseling. Um, Debbie White is a retired board member and counselor. Uh, I think Lisa Hall, is. Uh, she goes to church here and she served there in our receptionist area. So we're always looking for volunteers because there's two things that are the foundation for our center. One is Christ, the gospel, the ability for us to share the truth, and volunteers. There's only three staff members at Positive Choices. 
The rest is supported all by volunteer efforts. The other is donations. We don't receive any federal or state funding. We operate, we share the gospel, we uh, provide services and resources because of churches, because of individuals like yourself. And without that, we would not be in the community. I serve at Positive Choices because of God's individual calling on my life. But you contribute and you serve because you're a community partner, because you care. And like was said in the video uh, just a few minutes ago, um, this wouldn't be possible. Young women, dads, families, adolescents, uh, many times would not have an opportunity to hear about the gospel. But when they come to the center, they'll hear about the gospel multiple times. They'll hear about it when they come in through their registration process. They'll hear about it again uh, when they go through their counseling session, when they go through their ultrasound, if they do have one. So um, many times we are able to um, hear this young woman's story. And it's not always because it stems from just a young girl um, making a mistake and getting pregnant. We serve families. We serve um, married couples who might be a dislocated, their husband might be a dislocated worker, or they just might be facing tough times. But we also serve the community. Um, DHR sends us um, homeless moms who needs clothing or diapers or some help because they're transitioning their life. But that's what our organization is about, is transforming lives. And we start with sharing the gospel. That is the basic, that's the base, the foundation for any of us to change our life. We can give you diapers, we can give you, we can talk to you, we can send you to um, Christ Health Center for the other part of medical care that you get. But none of that really matters if we don't have a change of heart. And so that's what we're there for. We want to, we're transparent with our clients. We share our story, um, and we, we let them know who's, who, why we're there. We let them know that the church is supporting us, and we let them know that there are individuals who care because many times these young women come in from ages 12, believe it or not, to 53. And so they all have a story. They all have a need. And you are meeting that need because you continue to support us. You're helping us multiply opportunities that are available. And now, since the, the reversal of Roe versus Wade, for us in Alabama, uh, a, an elective abortion is no longer, no longer legal. So now we have to help these women who are trying to find alternatives. So we'll be there again sharing options. So uh, we want to invite you, if you've not already, a plan to attend our third annual gala. It's where we share the vision and the, um, the vision of the center. We share stories and let you know about our outcome, and you'll get to hear and see Pam Tebow, who's a wonderful lady. You heard her story. So... Um, Again, thank you. Lori, would you like to say a word of thanks? Okay. All right. Thank you.
I get to greet people as they come in the door that I'm usually the first face that they see and I get to offer them water or snack or whatever they need as they're coming through the door. I try to just look and see how they're doing and, and just just really try and make them feel comfortable as they come in. Sometimes they come alone, sometimes they come with a family member. But we so want them to know that this is a safe place to come to, to walk into. The work that I do initially will help the, the counselors later on get to the point of what they need to do and assess what the uh, girls who come through the door, what they need. I love uh, serving at Positive Choices because of the women I get to serve with. These group of women are probably some of the most genuinely loving, kind, transparent uh, group of ladies that I have ever met, especially in the beginning when I didn't know the routines. I was learning what needed to be done within this role as receptionist. And each one of them was so kind to come along beside me and just teach me. So being a part of a team that loves one another, that is serving uh, the clients and serving one another in, in each of their roles here is tremendous blessing. The more that I do will help the counselors do what they need to do without distraction. So it's a great group of women to work with. I love interacting with them. I love that they have different backgrounds and different histories. I love that we are able to help them um, sometimes, many times, when they didn't realize that we would be able to. We perform limited ultrasounds, and what that means is it's not as comprehensive as what they get in their doctor's office. Um, we look for three things to confirm the pregnancy. We make sure the baby's growing inside the womb where it's supposed to be. We find the baby's heartbeat. You cannot hear it with our machine, but you can see it. And then we measure the baby, and that gives us a more accurate idea of how far along they are in their pregnancy. So by doing those things, we are able to answer, hopefully, the questions that they have when they come through the doors. Are they pregnant? How far along are they? And that that's mainly what we're striving to do and do that in a very safe and caring and loving environment. We want it to be a happy place for those that are happy, the ones that are having a really difficult time. We just want them to know that, as I mentioned before, um, Christ's love is present here and that through our conversation and our actions, we can show that to them. And I love being in this room. I love that every ultrasound is new. It never gets old. It's always, always a miracle when you see that on, on the screen. It's always a miracle. My uh, position here at Positive Choices is counselor. So I talk to the girls that come in for their pregnancy tests and um, just whatever comes up, we may just have a surface conversation or we may get into the, the deep truths of scripture or um, sometimes I cry with them. They tell me their stories and I cry with them. So it's just a really good 
atmosphere for them to share their heart and for us to be able to help in some way where they are in their journey through this process. The reason I came to Positive Choices to begin with is because I have followed this ministry for, I mean, I'm old, so it was way back in the in the 70s when I first heard about this ministry, and it was Save a Life East then and not Positive Choices, and um, I had a friend that volunteered here, so I, I knew about the ministry, and I've always had it in the back of my mind, but because of my I mean, I, I raised four children, and then I went to work as a nurse, and so I, there was just no way I could come and volunteer here. So then I retired. This came to mind again, so I came, and they put me through the counselor training, and so that's why I'm here now. It's mainly just to show the girls the love of God and maybe a little bit of His character through how we can love on them here and help them through whatever difficult time they have. Coming to Positive Choices has really helped. I came in the second trimester of my pregnancy and I was able to talk to the women about what to expect going forward with my pregnancy, what to expect about motherhood. They really helped me have comfort and reassurance about life going forward. My husband and I met when I was 17, uh, one more year of high school. He had just begun uh, university. He was in Canada and I'm from Alabama. So that was very unsure and um, a lot of questions for us. We both come from big families. So we already had that connection and knew that we wanted to raise children. And I knew that I wanted to have a child who had his eyes and by God's grace, she does. So we got married. We were able to get a house and that way we had a place for children. About half a year later, we conceived our daughter. It felt so unreal. Uh, it actually, it actually took a few months for it to really hit me that this was happening and it was just your excitement, nervousness, anxiety. There were a lot of times that I had little worries and them being experienced mothers and grandmothers, they were able to help me have a little bit more wisdom and understanding. Courses that I took, whether it be for first aid or for teaching them how to take a bath or discipline, it gave me a lot of confidence to go into pregnancy and labor and motherhood just in general. The reason I kept coming back, they were always kind to me. They asked if I needed anything. I was able to get clothes for my daughter, uh, diapers. They helped me get a car seat for her and with the mommy box. My daughter's 10 months old and I'm still coming back 
talking to them, having a great relationship, getting diapers, and I'm looking forward to taking more classes going into the next stage of my daughter's life. It's a really good experience. My name is Debbie, and my role here at Positive Choices is receptionist. My name is Sylvia, and I'm a counselor here at Positive Choices. My name is Lisa Lambert. I'm a registered nurse, and I'm the nurse manager here at Positive Choices. My name is Lori Fant, and I started as a volunteer at Positive Choices three days a week, and now I'm transitioning into the um, executive director's assistant. I get to greet people as they come in the door that I'm usually the first face that they see, and I get to offer them water or snack or whatever they need as they're coming through the door. I try to just look and see how they're doing and, and just just really try and make them feel comfortable as they come in. Sometimes they come alone, sometimes they come with a family member. But we so want them to know that this is a safe place to come to, to walk into. My uh, position here at Positive Choices is counselor. So I talk to the girls that come in for their pregnancy tests and um, just whatever comes up, we may we may just have a surface conversation or we may get into the, the deep truths of scripture or um, sometimes I cry with them. They tell me their stories and I cry with them. So it's just a really um, good atmosphere to just, to for the, hopefully for them to share their heart and for us to be able to help in some way where they are in their journey through this process. Well, we thank Sharon and, uh, and the group that we just saw. We thank for all the hard work that they do. But you know, it's not up to them to do all the work. It's up to us. It's time for the church to rise up and to put our armor on and to do the things that we're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, that's what we're going to do right now. And I'm just going to ask you, let's all rise up right now. Let's all rise up. And we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, start our worship time together. Let's go. <coughs> Rise up, O Church of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O sons of God, the Church for you doth wait. Her strength. Hey! 
die the cross of Christ. And that's what we want to do this morning. Oh, to see the dawn, the power of the cross. Let's sing together, my God.
Lord, we come to celebrate a great debt that has been paid. Thank you for paying that debt in full. Lord, we're thankful that you did not just put down a down payment and require the debt to be paid by us, the rest of it. But Lord, you paid it in full. And Lord, you did it with one transaction. The transaction was your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Lord, it's hard to believe that such joy and satisfaction can come from someone dying on the cruelest of forms of crucifixion. But only through the shed blood of someone who is totally innocent and totally sinless. Lord, thank you for offering your own son, who is the only one who is totally innocent and totally sinless. And you did it so that the sin of each one of us could be covered. Thank you for that wonderful gift of salvation, Lord. For that, we've come to worship you and to praise you. This morning we speak this, O Lord, through your spirit and through your word. And all of this we pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Oh 
and the burdens oh, of my heart, oh, they rolled away, rolled away, it was there, my to benefit from those that can sing. Thank you, uh, David, for that ministry. And I thank the Lord for all those young people in the back and that are working up there today, uh, especially Luke and Sidney Bonner. Huh? (laughs) 
for those of you who may be visiting today, um, Luke and Sydney don't get an applause every time we mention their name, <laughs> but um, they were married a week ago yesterday and uh, serving the Lord with us this morning. What a joy it is uh, when two come together who know the Lord and want to serve Him. Uh, I did work last uh, week ago Saturday for 30 minutes. So just in case you wanted to know if I did anything, I did for 30 minutes. It was hard work. But the Lord uh, provided a wonderful, wonderful setting, beautiful weather, and a glory be to His name. We need to pray for our children, parents and grandparents, that they would come to know someone uh, as a believer, hopefully your children are, and that they will find another growing believer uh, to uh, do life together and uh, the Christian life together. We live in such a time that our young people... Um, it is so true, between 17 and 24 make decisions for the rest of their life. And uh, we really need to pray for our children and grandchildren, especially in our day that we live in. So much is in front of them. So many alternative things that are untrue that are in front of them. And we want to make sure that we set good examples as parents and grandparents to those God has placed into our lives. I think I have 30-something slides today. And somebody's eyes just went like that. I don't know that we'll get through all of them, but I want to uh, spend some time this morning doing a little bit of review. You remember when you were in school, and some of you are in school now, one of the great exercises that we tended to do over and over and over and over and over again in school was our times tables. So I thought I would give you a little test this morning to see how well you remembered those. Two times two is? Very good. Three times three is? Nine times three. And eight times seven. Not as many people responded <laughs> with eight times seven, and there's a reason for that. That is one of the hardest ones, if I remember correctly, when I was growing up. Uh, but my hardest one was 12 times 11. <laughs> Nobody's saying anything to that. 132. And the reason I know that it's 132 is because I took out my phone, pulled up my calculator, and did 12 times 11 about four times to make sure that I would say the exact answer that I needed to this morning so that you wouldn't walk out of the sanctuary and think he didn't know what 12 times 11 was. But I wanted to do some review today because it's very critical as we journey through 1 John that we're all on the same page. If not, there's going to be confusion. And so I want to make sure that we understand what John is trying to do with those that he is writing to. And in this particular section, in 
beginning in verse 18 and going through verse 27, he addresses uh, children. And that term, we came to find out, meant paideon. He uses two different terms in John. Um, I know sometimes we just wish they would use just one so there would be less confusion, but there's a reason that John does that. One name, little children, means born ones, those belonging to Christ. And then when you see paideon, it means learners, those who are learners about the things of Christ. And so he is writing uh, to these uh, paideon about things that will impact their fellowship as a believer. And in this particular section, he speaks about the fact that a message that's false or false messages or, or false teaching can impact one's fellowship, and it certainly can. It may not be as drastic as someone that he describes here in chapter 2, the doctrine that was being propagated by these who were anti-Christ. But it is true that even in the church, there can be false messages among believers. Like, for example, a false message among believers that might be propagated would be that a believer cannot be eternally secure. Is that true? Well, a believer can be eternally secure, not based on what man says, but based on what the Bible has said to us. And even in this particular letter, John is going to write that for them, that confidence. These things I've written unto you that you may know. Chapter 5, verse 13. He wants them to know that they belong to the Lord. So even when we think about a lot of times false teaching, we're thinking about these huge... Um, layers there like is found in chapter 2 where some deny that Christ is the Messiah and some deny that he's the son of God and, and, and some deny that he came in the flesh. Those are big things as it relates to Christology, but there are even false messages in the church that impact believers. And I know that there have been some over the years that have been impacted, some believers have been impacted by the message that is false, that we are not eternally secure in Christ. And believe it or not, that is propagated from pulpits. And a lot of that is around the issue of works. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, plus nothing else. And at salvation, we are placed in Christ, and we are stamped and sealed by the Spirit of the living God. And so there are things that can come up in the church that are false, and we have to be careful that we not listen to the false messages. Last time together, wow. Last time together, we saw from verse 18 that the Antichrist is coming. Okay? That is a true, and you see it, it's singular. The Antichrist is coming, he's coming on the world scene. And he is going to set himself up as a ruler and God. He is going to proclaim himself as a pseudo-Messiah. But there's really only one Messiah, and we know that to be the Christ. And so John, remember, said in verse 18 of this chapter, chapter 2, he says, 
children, Pideon, it is the last hour, and just as you heard, they already had heard about the subject of the Antichrist or the end times. By the way, I believe it's one of the most neglected subjects in the church today, and that's the subject of eschatology. I don't know how you think about that, but I think it's one of the most neglected, and the reason I do is because I hear phrases like this, how important is that really for me? Well, very important. Unless you just plan on hanging out during the tribulation period. I don't. Uh, I believe what God says, according to the scriptures, that Jesus Christ is coming for his church and that we are going to be raptured and taken to be with him forever, the Bible says. And subsequent to that, on the earth, there will be the tribulation period, with the last three and a half years being marked as the great tribulation period that is on the earth that culminates with the battle of Armageddon when Jesus Christ comes with his saints. And if you've never ridden a horse, you will. And you will come with Jesus Christ and he'll be in the lead and he will do battle. He doesn't need us for that. And the Bible says that we will rule and we will reign with him as he establishes his kingdom on the earth for 1,000 years. Eschatology is very critical to the believer. It's very critical to a believer's daily walk because we walk with anticipation of his coming, don't we? And so I sure hope you do. But John introduces them in verse 18 to a subject he's already covered with them. And then we come to the second part of verse 18 and then verse 19 where he talks about the fact that Antichrist, plural, are present. Okay, look at what he says in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, future tense, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. One of the discussions we had was when John uses especially the uh, pronoun us in verse 19, is he talking about these antichrists being on the scene with the apostles or is he talking about these antichrists being among them as believers there potentially in Ephesus? I don't think it really matters um, both are true. There were antichrists, plural, when the apostles came on the scene at Pentecost. There were antichrists in the church of Ephesus. There were those that were against Christ in that world and in that time, just as there are antichrists in our world in our time. Okay? And so there are many who set themselves up against Jesus Christ. That was going on in John's day, and that's going on in our day. Notice what he says. Verse 19, they went out from us. Well, if they, if they went out from us, where were they? They were with either the apostles 
or the church. They were with either the apostles of the church, or we could say they were with Christians. So John's saying this, they rise up from the midst of us. When we think about those who are against Christ, a lot of times we think about those people who are outside the walls. That's probably not healthy that we do that. There may be even antichrist that sit in local Christian assemblies who are against Christ, who have an agenda to put something else in the place of Christ. You remember last time I told you that term anti means either against or in place of, very critical term. So there are people who set themselves up against Christ. That will be the Antichrist who will do that. But he will come as one in place of Christ as well. But there is only one Christ. There is only one true Messiah. John says they went out from us. But notice this. But they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be evident that they are not all of us. Okay, there's a huge distinction here. So what do we know about these antichrists from verse 18 and 19? Number one, they leave Christians. They leave Christians. I'm not quite certain how you're going to think about this, but nonetheless, it's on my mind. I think potentially in the last three years, there have been some that have left the church as anti-Christ, those who are against Christ, who were never a part of us. Now, for some, as you hear that, you think that sounds pretty harsh. But if you look at the landscape of the church in the last three years, how many of you would say it has changed? We don't all, and when I say all, the church at large, have the same people anymore. And even those that are gone are propagating messages that are false. Just look at Facebook, which I don't do very often. But do you know I have people who alert me about Facebook? Thad, you need to know this. Thad, you need to know that. Whether they're talking about a dating relationship or something that has to do with Christianity. People, I think, today are leaving the church in masses give you an example we were down in gulf shores last weekend bill white and i were driving separate from joan and Teresa and debbie and the reason we drive separately ought to be pretty simple to figure out we don't like to shop like they do And so we're driving back, it's a Sunday morning, and we're coming through Foley. And we pass by two churches that are approximately the same size as our church in terms of building. The most 
that were in the woods. This is prime time. This is about 11 o'clock. 10 to 15 cars in both lots. I think one had about 15, the other had about 10. This is when the church would have been meeting. What's happened to the church? I think the church is being tested. I believe the church is being tested. And I believe that as we get closer and closer to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not only are false Christ going to arise and false messages that come with it, but you and I will be asked to stand on this book without apology. It's coming to some generation... So what we know about these antichrists, according to John, is they leave Christians. Secondly, they, they attempt to deceive Christians, verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Who is you? Pideon, those that belong to Christ, those who are growing believers. They're trying to deceive you. There are deceptive messages in our culture today. One of the deceptive messages in our culture today has to do with life itself. It is your life. You do with your life what you want to do with your life. First of all, to the pagan... They have life because God's given them life. They take the next breath because God gives them the next breath. And as Christians, don't we know that it is not our life? That we have been bought with a price? It's not our life. We have to... Adjust our language. It's not, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but it's, Lord, what do you want me to do with the life that you've given me? How does that message sound? Okay? So they leave Christians. They attempt to deceive Christians. They have a wrong view of Christ. (laughs) They're really off. In this context, there are three things that we saw from verses 22, 23, and then we looked at uh, 1 John 4 and 2 John 7, and that's not chapter 7, that's verse 7. As you know, that's just a little postcard. But they deny that Jesus is the Messiah, according to verse 22. They deny that Jesus is God. Now, that's a message that carries a lot with it today. There are a lot of people that you'll run into and you'll ask them the question, do you believe in the historical Jesus? And their answer is going to be what? Yes. Kind of hard to deny that. But if you ask them the question, do you believe that Jesus is God? What is their answer? Many, many times it's, well, I don't believe that. 
And then if you break it down and say, do you believe, and this is what's interesting, do you believe that Jesus died on a Roman cross? Yeah, I believe that. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I don't so much believe that. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? Right? The gospel is about what? It's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not sitting in this building without the hope of the resurrection. Couldn't we find something better to do on a Sunday? Yeah, we could. And there are plenty of people that do. You ever thought about that? There are plenty of people that do. that want nothing to do with us. Guys, you know what we need to do? We need to pray for those people. Because God can change their lives. He can do that. He's in the business of saving people. Do you realize that we've used that baptistry more this year already than we ever have? And do you realize we're going to use it again on November the 20th? Little side note, bulletin announcement. And if you want to be baptized on November the 20th, please come and see me. I know I already have some that want to be. Listen, God is doing his work even in the midst of all this stuff that's false. Just like he was doing his work then in the midst of those churches in Asia Minor. Even with all the messages that were false. God's saving people. He does that. Listen, just a little side commercial. Have you ever grown weary of saying, Lord, please help my brother or my sister come to Christ? And you're like, I'm giving up. I just haven't seen anything. Lord, what are you doing? Don't give up. Don't give up. We're praying to the living God about a soul that can be changed. And he can change it. I mean, if you were just to take this, the book of Acts and look through the, the pages of Acts and you see all the different conversions, when you come to, to Saul, you just go, oh my goodness. Lord, you can save anyone. And you know what we need to do the next time we're thinking we're like we're really up here, stand in the mirror and look and go, man, Lord, you saved me. You saved me. They deny that Jesus is God, and then we saw they deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but that's a problem. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe he's the first fruits. I don't know about you, but the glorified body sounds wonderful. And it's coming. Well, as I thought about what they were dealing with in that culture in that time, there's a chart that I ran across that I thought was really good. Here it is. Who is Jesus Christ? And if you just took Islam and Christianity, this is what you have. Islam... He's not the son of God, just a man. Christianity, on the other hand, he's the son of God equal to the father. Are you listening to me? Equal to the father. Islam did not exist in any form before the earth. Has existed from eternity past. He wasn't created now, that's a false doctrine and message that's been propagated, even in Christian churches. Are you listening to me? 
You got to be careful. Islam says, did not die on the cross. What do we say? He died in our place. What are you talking about? He didn't die on the cross. He died in my place. We sang about that today. Islam believes he did not rise from the dead. <laughs> I love past tense. He rose from the dead. That's already happened. He proclaimed victory to the captives. He, listen, he's alive. So we don't just celebrate Easter one day a year. How awful is that? Let's wait till Easter to celebrate. The, what are you talking about? Help me. There used to be a song, help me run to help, help me run. Help me. I mean, the bottom line is he's alive. And I celebrate him today. And I can celebrate him every single day. And I'm looking for the living Christ. Right? Every other religion, a dead God. We present a living one. Can we pray? That was the introduction. You think I'm kidding. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but it's in my notes. That was review. We got plenty of time. Let's pray. Father, you knew before uh, today, obviously, that at 11.39, we would be at this point. And um, that's okay. Um, uh, got a lot here that you've shown me to cover and whatever that is uh, for today I pray you would help me to know when to stop today uh, by your spirit and um, that we would be led uh, in our lives by your spirit and all this I pray in the name of Christ Amen How many of you like encouragement? Nobody likes encouragement. You like math better than you like encouragement. Because you were participating with that two times two and all that. Who doesn't love encouragement? Imagine being a friend of Barnabas. What was he called? Son of encouragement. I ran across a quote. Said someone said the following, flatter me and I may not believe you. This, by the way, is not a Christian quote. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. We don't forget those people who encourage us, do we? No, we don't. You get cards in the mail. Is that encouraging to you? Somebody actually stops and says more than just, how is your morning or good morning? But they make eye contact with you, and they're having conversation. They genuinely care about what's going on in your life. You're like, wow, they just didn't say good morning. They're interested in what's going on in my life. Well, I want to tell you this, that I believe that John was an encourager. Because when you're having to write stuff like this, I mean, you're like, man. But we know that these authors were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And in this section, there is some great encouragement for these believers who were dealing with those wanting to deceive them. Remember, 
That's what it said in verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. How would you respond to this question? Are people trying to deceive you right now? In your life, do you have people that are trying to deceive you? Think about that. Could we say that journalism at times tries to deceive? Just throwing out something that may be true. Is it true that when we sometimes watch someone on TV, they're trying to deceive? Yes. Deception comes from the very top at times, does it not? Where people are trying to lead others astray or to buy into a message that is false. So remember, this is why John is writing this particular section. Because there are those that were trying to deceive. Um, The third point in our outline is this. The apostle encourages the children. That's what we see in the text. We see the Antichrist singular. We see the presence of the Antichrist plural. And then we see the apostle encouraging his children, those that he loves. Remember, those that he invests in. And the first thing he tells them is, hey, you have help. <laughs> Isn't it nice to know? One of the best things that you can say to your wives, husbands, uh, that have children running around, I'm here to help. When's the last time your husband, father, of the home, came to you and said, I am here to help. Wouldn't that be great, Teresa, if I would have said that more? I'm here to help. John tells these believers, you have help. What's the help they have as they're facing these deceivers? Notice in verse 20 and 21, but you have an anointing, he says. You have an anointing from the Holy One, And you all know. Then you go to verse 27. He says, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. Okay, underscore that. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you all things. And is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, You abide in him. So what's this anointing thing? Now that's a term that's thrown around in Christian circles a lot. A whole lot. I need an anointing. I need more of an anointing. You have language thrown around like that a lot in charismatic churches. That is just the truth. You know the great part for the believer... Every single believer has an anointing. And you're sitting there going, should I be saying amen to that? Yes, you should. The Greek word is chrisma, which refers to ointment, usually oil. We think about oil and ointment. We think about the Old Testament, the priest 
being anointed. The Greek word here refers to ointment, usually oil that was smeared on someone to symbolize that God's presence was with them. Okay? Remember in the Old Testament when David was anointed. You remember? And here's what it says, 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And what do we find in the Old Testament as it relates to the Holy Spirit? With the, a couple of exceptions, the Holy Spirit would do what? Come upon them for a time. You remember, I mean, one of the things that really, boy, if, you, if you're into the context of Psalm 51, I mean, you're, you're like, whoo. I mean, David's speaking. He's, there's that great confession that he has about what was going on in his life. And what does he say? Take not thy what? Holy Spirit from me. Upon, the, the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And that's, that's the um, context there in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16 and verse 13. Well, you also have this anointing as it relates to Jesus Christ. And this comes in the book of Acts in chapter 10. Okay, the book of Acts in chapter 10. Look at what it says. You know of Jesus, excuse me, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God, here it is, anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good in healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So that kind of gives you a little definition and a couple of examples there of anointing in the Bible, although there are numerous examples of anointing. Um, some observations that point to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one that he is talking about, that John is talking about here as he refers to the anointing. Um, I wanted to give you just some things to think about here. First of all, the anointing in context refers to the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing. So every believer, listen to me, upon salvation has the Holy Spirit. At salvation, every person has the Holy Spirit of God. John Walford, I like the way that he writes this, he says, The anointing is no doubt the Holy Spirit, since according to verse 27, the anointing teaches. And is that a ministry of the Holy Spirit? Answer? Yes, it is. And do you know how we know it is? Because the Bible tells us that that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you know one who knew the ministry uh, of the uh, Holy Spirit in his life? John the Apostle. Well, who was John the Apostle? Oh, yeah, he was that guy that hung out with Jesus. Yeah, he did. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was part of an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. You remember that? But it also says he was the beloved one, right? He was close to the Lord Jesus. And he was in the upper room with the 11, remember? Initially, there were 12. Jesus washes all of the apostles' feet. But then... Judas leaves the room. And after Judas leaves the room, there is instruction that Jesus gives to the eleven. 
And part of that instruction had to do, a big significant part had to do with the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said? This is in the context now of the upper room and Jesus talking with his disciples. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now, the word another in the Greek language is a really important word. It, it, to you, it just looks like another word, but it's a unique word. Another can mean another of the same kind or another of the, a different kind. In this context, it's another of the same kind. In other words, he's not giving you someone else. He's going to give him himself. That's what he's saying. I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth Notice this next phrase, whom the world cannot receive. You know the difference between you, a big difference, between you and an unregenerate person that you come in contact with on a daily basis? They don't have the Spirit of God in them. That's a problem. Because the Bible tells us about the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God leads us into what? All the truth. See? So one of the great benefits for the believer is simply the Spirit of God. And John knew that as he was writing to his audience here uh, in 1 John. Okay? So he says, first of all, we know about the anointing, that it refers to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we see here that the anointing is not exclusive. It's not exclusive. It's not just for one believer or a few believers. No, in fact, the pronoun usage in verse 20 and 27 is plural. (laughs) So look in verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. In other words, you're different from these people I've just described who are anti-Christ. He draws a line in the sand in verse 20, beginning of the verse. But you, you're different. You're different than these antichrists, plural. You have the Holy Spirit. And when he says you there, he means all of you. Right? You hear about, you say, why is that important? Well, you hear people today talk about it like it's exclusive. Oh, well, he has an anointing in his life, or she has an anointing in her life. No, 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 no. Here's here's what's great. If you belong to the Lord, you have an anointing, the Holy Spirit, in you. Right? You're not looking for an anointing, and you're not looking for more of the Spirit. You get all of who he is at salvation. Okay? So that's very, very critical. He writes that in verse 20 and then in verse 27. We won't read it again, but all of those there are plural. All right? So we have in us power. We have power in us. You know, the word power in the New Testament is the term dynamite. I've not been, like, in close proximity to dynamite. Thank the Lord. But I've heard it from a distance. 
And it sounds powerful. And when I see it on TV and someone's using it in a show, which I like the Big Valley. Um, that's a 1970s show. One of those segments there, they're, they're, in a, they're in a cave and whatever, and, and the dynamite's set, and it just blows it up. I mean, you see the power of dynamite. My kids are always getting on me about watching just 1970s shows, but oh well. It's a great show. But as, I'm, as, as you see, you can see the results, can't you, of dynamite. Hey, guys, you know what? We see the results in Christians who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who have power. We see it. We see it because we see them going, you know what, it's not my life, it's your life, Lord. I'm going to go to a country that I've never been to, and I'm going to serve you. Well, how are they doing that? In their own power? No. By the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells them. Listen to me. Every single one of you in here, I was thinking about this earlier, as um, Sharon was here, and I was looking at all the different ladies in the office that were using the, the talents and the gifts that God's given them and how incredibly important that is to the body of Christ. You might sit here on a Sunday morning and cross your arms and go, Thad, it's almost 12 o'clock and I'm ready to go home. Listen to me. Every single person in this room who knows Christ has the Spirit of God indwelling them, Right? And the Bible says that he's given you a gift and you need to use that gift for his glory. And there can't be a, I can't do that. That is the first requirement, by the way, for you to say, I can't do that. But you know who can do it? The Spirit of God can do it in your life. And you can be in places and do things for the Lord that you would think, how in the world did I even get here? It's the spirit of the living God. That's how. One more for this morning. Third, on the anointing. Here it is. The anointing was given to believers by the Holy One. What question comes to mind when you read that? Who's the Holy One? Why didn't John just say in the text that they had been given an anointing from the Lord Jesus or from the Father? Why does he use the term Holy One? I kind of think it has to do with the context. And this is how I wrote it out. Could it be that John uses the term Holy One because he's going to declare that the Father and the Son are one. And to deny one, remember we saw this last week, the Son is to not have the other, the Father. But to accept the Son is also to have the Father. The Father and the Son can be described as what? The Holy One. Because the Bible tells us they are what? Holy. In fact, Isaiah says they're holy, holy, holy. As it relates to God. So when we look at this, John says, let me encourage you. You've been given the anointing, the Holy Spirit, by the Holy One. (sighs) 
What are your thoughts of Jesus Christ? What are your thoughts about Christ? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? That would have been a good question for John's readers. I was reading a story about Pastor D. James Kennedy. You guys have heard of Pastor D. James Kennedy. He's with the Lord. He was at Coral Ridge Ministries there. Um, Boy, he was all buttoned up. And he, he stood high in the pulpit. Like, I thought, a good little, I need a stepping stool or something. I mean, he looked like he was seven foot six. But D. James Kennedy was a wonderful evangelist. Uh, he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a story told of D. James Kennedy, uh, one that he used in a sermon. He said, I remember talking to a man years ago in his home about Jesus Christ. And I asked him who he thought Jesus was. And he said, oh, he's a wonderful man. In fact, he was the greatest man who ever lived. The most loving and gracious person who ever walked upon this earth. That answer would be good for some. The James Kennedy responded, he said, let me tell you something I believe that may startle you. According to the scriptures, Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter of Galilee, was and is the eternal creator of the universe. The omnipotent, omniscient, and almighty God. Instantly, the man's eyes filled with tears. He was about 50 to 60 years old. And he responded to D. James Kennedy this way. He says, I have been in church, this is sad, all of my life. And I have never heard that before. But I've always thought, he said, that that's the way it ought to be. That God ought to be like Jesus. The next time you think, that people have a clear understanding of Christology, think again. I was, and I'll close with this, I was very blessed to grow up in a Christian home where my father taught me doctrine. He taught me the word. My mom came alongside and helped with that and taught me the word and taught me about who Jesus Christ is. He's fully man. And he's fully God. And he is the savior of the world. And that's what the Bible says. These believers needed to be encouraged about the fact that they had an anointing. That they had the spirit of the living God inside of them. And we're going to see next week. The spirit of the living God does wonderful things in our lives that help us to live to the glory of God. Let's uh, pray together. Father, we could literally spend all day here just talking about your Son and the Spirit of the living God that resides in all of us in this building who belong to you. It may be that there are some in this building 
who don't belong to you, Father. They have not trusted in the work of your Son on the cross at Calvary for the payment for their sins. They have not believed. I pray that your Spirit would work in the hearts and the lives of those individuals this morning who may not know you. Please help us to live like we have the power residing in us and help us not to be influenced by the schemes of man, but help us to be influenced on a daily basis. Help us to be influenced by the Holy Spirit who resides in us. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I wanted to just make you aware of a couple of announcements and then you'll be dismissed this morning. I do not have a closing song that I'm going to sing for you. Um, we support Martin and Rose Ebel, uh, missionaries we have, supported them. And, and Martin has cancer, and it, it's very bad. It's, he's not expected to live long at all. And um, we don't know. The Lord's got, got him in his hands. But we um, are thankful for their ministry. And I just wanted to make sure that you are aware of that, that um, uh, this has been a difficult time for Rose and for the family. And so I would just encourage your prayers. They have a lot of needs. We were talking about at elders meeting the other night. They have a lot of needs financially and other, in other ways. And so I want you to think about it this way. Anytime you contribute to... Uh, we never mention money here, hardly ever at all. But anytime you contribute in putting on your envelope missions, those mission funds that you give are given to the missionaries. And when there's extra funding, because every month there's an $11,000 plus dollar requirement that we have for the missionaries we support. But anything over and beyond that that we give, the missions committee makes that decision to help out missionaries who have needs at times that aren't necessarily expressed uh, from this pulpit. And so I just want to encourage you with that. And just uh, you pray for, for Martin and for Rose and for anything the Lord might lead you to do in that respect. And I've got one more thing to say, or two more things to say. Number one, there are boxes out in the foyer. All right, Operation Christmas Child, there are boxes out there. Please feel free to take as many boxes as you want. Remember, our goal is hopefully 200 boxes, almost said 2,000 boxes, <laughs> 200, that's a great goal, 200 boxes, so I would just ask you to consider, maybe even if you have friends, next door neighbors that want to participate, that would be, be great as well, and also I want to make mention, we will be having a baptism on November 20th, and if any of you would like to be baptized, I would love uh, to meet with you, so that people can see your witness, your testimony that indeed you belong to Christ. All right, great to see you. Hope you have a great lunch. Milo's is always good. Have a good night.